So the system was this. At the end of every day, make a list of the top five things you have to do tomorrow. Just sit down and spend time and limit, not 12, not 64, not three. What are the top five things you have to do tomorrow? Then put them in order of impact from the highest impact to lowest impact. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. You have a to-do list, right? Do you have a top five list, though? In this episode, I'm going to share one of the easiest to implement systems, yet probably the most impactful that helped us build 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We're going to dive into how to finally start getting that stuff you suck at or that drains you of energy off your plate. And we're really going to dive into the core skills of how to finally delegate projects and tasks so that they get done on time, on budget, and so that you get back the result that you're hoping for when you delegate them. I can't wait to read your comments on this episode. I learned about something called the top five. So this is something I learned from the book, Napoleon Hills. It was Think and Grow Rich. And it was the the story about Charles Schwab and Ivy Lee. I think it was originally like six, a half dozen, right? The basic story goes like this. Um, There was this management consultant, Ivy Lee, or sorry, Charles Schwab. And he went and cold called the CEO of this steel company. And he said, you know, with my systems, you'll know how to manage better. And Lee said, I don't need to know how to manage better. I need to do the stuff I already need to know to do. Like I need to get more done of what I should be doing. And he said, okay, I'll give you a system. And if you try this system for six weeks, after you do it for six weeks, send me a check for what you think it was worth. So the system was this. At the end of every day, make a list of the top five things you have to do tomorrow. Just sit down and spend time and limit, not 12 not 64, not three. What are the top five things you have to do tomorrow? Then put them in order of impact from the highest impact to lowest impact. So now you've got your top five. And when you wake up in the morning, go about your normal routine. And then when you start working, don't check email. Don't start working on random projects. Don't do any calls. Start working on project one. When you finish item one, start working on item two. And don't work on the rest of your business until you get through your must-do list. So Charles Schwab had all of his employees do it. They did it for six weeks. He then sent Ivy Lee a check for $25,000. That was a hundred years ago. $25,000 for that system a hundred years ago was worth millions today. At the time, it turned Charles Schwab into a name that we all know. It also turned him into the wealthiest steel producer in the world. And it was that simple top five list. We rolled that out at 1-800-GOT-JUNK and had all of our employees doing it. It was massive. And I still use that today. In uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about his stop doing list. I call it my fuck it list because I have my bucket list and I have my fuck it list. So the bucket list is all the stuff I want to do before I die. And the fuck it list is all the stuff that life's too short. Fuck it. I'm not doing it anymore. Like, do you know what's on my fuck it list? Drinking wine on planes. I only fly first class, but they serve shitty wine on planes. Like I would never buy that wine at home. Why would I ever drink it on a plane? Like, great. Give me a glass of a $4 bottle of red, but I only buy $100 bottles at home. It doesn't make any sense. Fuck it. I'm not doing it. Or fuck it. I'm not checking my own email or fuck it. I'm not um, replying to my own DMs in social media, except on Instagram. Cause I like Instagram. So I've got like, you start looking at the stuff that isn't worth your time doing or drains you of energy. So I'll give you a really good system to help you with this. Pretend that someone follows you around with a video camera for a month. And then you get to watch the video and you watch everything that you do at work. Open emails, reply to emails, book flights, meet with teams, coach people, talk to clients, 
prep for events, prep for speaking events, look at your slides, whatever. You might have 80 things on your list of things that you do every month. So what I do is I open a spreadsheet and I write down every single task in column A. I might have 80 rows of all the things that I do. In column B, I categorize them all in one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, and by the way, apologies to the kids here that are hearing me swear, as Vishen said yesterday, for Christ's sakes, it's 2022, but I also do apologize because maybe you don't need to hear me swearing. So categorize all the tasks in one of four ways. I for incompetent, C for competent, E for excellent, and U for unique ability. This is a system that Dan Sullivan teaches at Strategic Coach. The incompetent means you suck at it. The competent means you're okay at it. The excellent means you're really, really good at it, but you don't love doing it. The unique ability is the stuff that you love doing, you're really good at, you get energized while you're doing it. You would do it for free, except your kids have to eat. And then in column C, for each task, you write down a dollar value. If you were paying someone just to do that task every day, all day, right? Let's say the task was clean toilets what would the hourly rate be? Or what would the hourly rate be for booking hotel rooms? Or what would the hourly rate be for doing slides? Or what would the hourly rate be for coaching someone? Put an hourly rate down for all those things. Then what you want to start doing is getting stuff off your list or putting it onto your stop doing list, anything that's below your hourly rate. So I get paid $4,600 an hour to coach CEOs. That's why I say I coach real companies. So $4,600 an hour is my effective hourly rate. I get paid $10,000 for a one hour Zoom or $15,000 for a one hour Zoom or $40,000 for an in-person speaking. So I know my value is somewhere between 4,000 an hour and, and I can't even say 40 because then you have to travel for that. But somewhere between four and 15,000 an hour is my hourly rate. So my, my hourly rate, why am I doing jobs that are $20 or $50 or hundred hour jobs, right? If I could get paid $4,000 to coach someone, I should delegate everything except, except genius and just spend a couple hours cold calling to land a couple more coaching clients, right? Or finding somebody who can go cold call to coach, right? The more you can get off your list so that all you do is work in your, your zone of genius, your unique ability, then you win. So I had to learn that because I was, I was always that, that kind of radically self-reliant. I can do this myself. It's just faster to do it. Sometimes it's faster to do it yourself, but sometimes it's better to hire someone or coach someone or train someone to do it for you. I learned about the 80% rule. This is not the Pareto principle. This is not that 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. This is that stuff can always be a little bit more perfect. So if you saw my transcript from university, you would never allow me to come up on this stage. It's terrible. I got a 2.2 GPA. I had 63% because I was running a business. I was president of fraternity. I was on the ski team and I didn't go to classes. But I learned that that A's, straight A's, who's, who got straight A's in school? You know that no one has looked at your transcript since you graduated? Sorry to break it to you, they didn't matter. You were lied to, we were all lied to. The straight A's didn't really matter. What mattered was getting educated for yourself, for the sake of learning more, not to have a transcript that no one's ever gonna look at again. So what I learned is that most people are okay with a solid B. Most people are okay with a solid 80%. So what I try to do is get stuff done and get it out the door as quickly as possible, and then maybe pass the part that could be improved to an expert who can improve it really quickly. So I'll show you how this works. I'm a really bad writer. I'm a horrible writer. So when I write something, like I can piss people off with a happy birthday email. It comes off as too short and like, why don't you care? I'm like, God, I said happy birthday. Yeah, but that was it. I'm like, fuck, I'm busy. Well, now you're swearing at me. I was like, Jesus. So... So I learned that I shouldn't write emails out to my, my tribe or my clients or, or my franchise partners, but I had the idea of what I wanted to say. So my 80% was to do a transcription. I would literally record it. This was back in the day when it was Dragon Dictation. Now you've got Siri or Otter, whatever you want to use. 
So I would do a transcription. I send it to my assistant and she types it up and makes it better. So she takes my 80%, which is verbal or transcribed, and she can polish it and she can take that part that was 20%. She can get it really quickly. Like in 15 minutes, she can polish my email and get it to 96% perfect. Now, if I'm going to send it out to the millions of people like a Mind Valley, Vision could do his verbally. Somebody could actually edit it for him. And then he'll send it to a, a copywriter or a communication specialist. And they really make it pop off the page. They take that 4% and they polish it to 80% in a half an hour. And now it's 99.2% perfect. That's pretty amazing, right? Because we're not flying planes. There's no surgery. Perfect slows everything down. But how can you quickly have a bunch of experts that you can pass things to and do it 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Now that memo that used to take me six days takes me five minutes, takes my assistant 15 minutes and takes a copywriter 30 and everybody's thrilled. And if you can remove the time in between each of those stages, your stuff's getting out the door faster and momentum is creating momentum because of that 80% result. I had to learn to outsource. Now this is becoming more and more obvious today, but I've been outsourcing now for 12 years. Um, I just got a note the other day from my former one of my former assistants who's based in the Philippines, she was an assistant of mine 12 years ago. The Philippines to Vancouver was amazing for time zones. I would work from like eight until five o'clock during the day in Vancouver, delegating tasks out to her. We could sync up over Skype because there was no Zoom back then and have like a quick five minute call or a 10 minute video call. I would then go about my evening, go to sleep, wake up in the morning and all the stuff I delegated to her got done because 5 p.m. my time was 8, 8 a.m. in the Philippines. And I was paying her $3 an hour. Why would you pay... Like my assistant, my executive assistant was with me six and a half years is 85,000 a year plus five weeks vacation. I have Meredith, my assistant delegating to people now overseas to get some of her admin work off her plate. Because if we can get it done for $6 an hour and I pay all my outsource people, my freelance people more. So if they come to me and say it's $5 an hour, I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. But why? It's fair. No, I can't pay you $5 an hour. I'll give you seven. What? Because then if I give them seven, they're blown away and they do work for me faster. And for me, it's still $7 an hour, right? So I treat them way better. They don't quit. They feel thrilled. And it's such a rounding error in terms of what I could be spending. But then I have them going through brick walls for me. I had to learn that deadlines are useless. When an employee comes to you and says, I'll have the project done by Friday, they won't get it done by Friday. The reason isn't because they don't intend to. It's not because they're lying. It's because they haven't sat down and thought about the project and all the different things that have to get done in the project and how many hours each or how many minutes each of the items are going to take and when in their calendar they're actually going to do the work. So what I want my team to tell me now is, what's the project? What are all the steps in the projects? How many minutes are each of the steps? And when in your calendar are you doing the work? Tell me when you're doing the work, not when you're going to get it done by. The best to-do list we all have is our calendar. Because when you look at all the projects and work you have to do and how long it's going to take and you put it in your calendar, you're going to realize you don't have enough time this week to do the stuff that's on your list. So start outsourcing, start delegating, start saying no more. Start focusing on the critical few things, but stop fooling yourself and stop trying to work nights and weekends and stop lying to yourself and everybody else saying you're going to get it done because you haven't thought about what you need to get done. And that was huge for me was to realize that if I plan my calendar, it's that all plan your work and work your plan. Those adages, all these grandmotherisms make sense. They all work. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.